Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Hey, 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 everybody. It is episode 31 of the Sample Chapter Podcast. I am Jason A. Meiske, your host with another wonderful author here to talk to you, here to share with you another sample chapter man it's a great episode coming up i think this is actually our longest we've ever had uh this is going to go over an hour so prepare yourself for a really good time uh you know buckle up your seat belts uh you're in for a ride with this episode hey uh you know over the weekend i had myself second ever uh, book signing that took place in the in my hometown which was the place where my book took place and oh my gosh the response was incredible um I had a feeling I didn't have enough books, so I made a rush order. The books arrived remarkably. They arrived that morning, and I still sold out. (laughs) How do you like that? Oh, my gosh. I'm totally blown away by the response and by, you know, that that so many people came out and just came to see me. It, it, I'm beyond words. I mean, to think that, this thing I created, this this you know this book that is you know out there in people's hands now that they came to see me, and had the kind of day that I had. I mean, I I'm truly humbled and forever grateful for the kind of day that I had over the weekend. So thank you so much. If any of you all are listening to this episode, thank you from the bottom of my heart. So uh, let's get on over real fast. Uh, I don't want to get too real there, and I don't want to take up too much time here at the beginning, because like I said, this is going to be a longer episode. Uh, so I do want to thank our sponsors. Uh, number one, U-Storeall of Warrensburg, Missouri. It's the number one place in the Warrensburg area for self-storage. Take my word for it. I guarantee it. Look them up online. Like I said, I'm going to keep it short. So look them up online at ustoreall.net. That's the letter U-S-T-O-R-A-L-L.net. Also, want to thank Podcast Garden for being our host site here uh, for our show and many others like us. And if you are interested in starting your own show, you can do so on Podcast Garden for free. So check it out, podcastgarden.com. Coming up, the Thoughtful Book Festival is this Friday, August 31st. Brought to you by the And I Thought Ladies. You heard them back on episode 20 of uh, here of our show. So make sure you go back and download that episode. You can listen to it again. Pull them up online and look, check out the uh, Thoughtful Book Festival. You need to get your spot reserved. It's an all-day virtual festival. So much good stuff going on. You don't want to miss it. You don't have to be a writer to take advantage of the fun things that are going on. You're going to love it. I promise you. So today's author, uh, I had I had such a great time talking with paranormal romance and erotic horror author Christine Alvarez. Christine is not only <laughs> Not only is she a lover of Dr. Pepper and chocolate, shh, that's our secret, don't tell her I know that, uh, but she's also one heck of an organizer as she is the person behind the Show Me Your Books KC. This is her brainchild, this is her idea, she's put it all together, bringing together more than 60 authors, it's going to be a heck of an event. If you can make it in this that first weekend of September, uh, the 7th and 8th, you need to get online, get your tickets, get down here to Kansas City, and you're going to have a good time. Uh, she's also got a brand new book. We didn't get to talk about it in the episode. It came up later on, so I wanted to make sure and share this. Uh, she has a brand new book debuting at the KC event. It's called Alice Goes to Hell and Madman's Tale. The proceeds to her sales of that book during the event are going to the Dream Factory. I'm telling you, the event... This woman, everything about this is incredible. I can't wait. I'm going to get you on over to our ad, and then once you hear the ad, uh, we're going to get on over to our interview with Christine right after these words. Hello, friends. Jason here. Hey, I wanted to take a minute and share with you a very special event coming to Kansas City September 6th and 7th. It's called the Show Me Your Books KC Convention. With a mix of 60, yes, I said 60, traditionally published and indie authors, 
in attendance, you don't want to miss this amazing two-day event. Can't go to both days? That's all right. Because you're going to get in for free on Saturday from noon to three to meet and greet the authors. You can pick up their books, get your picture with them. But keep in mind, if you only do that, you're going to miss out on the VIP experience. Get your special VIP tickets online at the ShowMeYourBooksKC.com website, and you'll be part of the Friday kickoff with dessert and drinks and a beer and barbecue later. Also, you'll get to have breakfast with the authors Saturday morning, followed by a one-hour VIPs-only time slot with the authors. Later Saturday night, there's a 1920s-themed farewell ball. You don't want to miss out on that. Best part about the whole thing, you know, books aside, authors aside, best part is that Show Me Your Books KC has partnered with the Dream Factory and created a raffle that runs throughout the event. All proceeds go towards helping Dream Factory that makes dreams come true for terminally and chronically ill children. Go to showmeyourbookskc.com for more information or follow the links in the show notes. Now back to your show. Everybody, this is another episode of the Sample Chapter Podcast. Uh, with me today, I am with a special friend, Christine Alvarez. Uh, Christine, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How about yourself? Not too bad. I, I got my my yard mowed uh, right before it got really hot outside, so I'm I'm doing good. Tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Well, like you said, I'm Christine Alvarez. Um, I first and foremost, I'm an author, reader, mother, chauffeur, and event organizer. Um, I work out of my house, and I also go to school. I just recently started going back to school for something completely unrelated to reading or writing or anything of that nature, and that's about me. <laughs> and you, you write in the paranormal romance erotic erotica horror and uh, some some lgbt romance as well that's quite the i mean just the erotic horror kind of stood out to me that's interesting what what is that about yeah that stands out to a lot of people especially when (laughs) i do um events and they see it on my banner and that's literally what stops them um (laughs) erotic horror is it sounds crazy, but really it's not. It's um, like right now, my series that's out is vampires. So that right there takes care of the horror. My vampires aren't pretty and nice, and they're not romantic and sweet. <laughs> and they're out for blood, and they want what they want, and they're going to get it however they they want to get it, especially in a vampiric nature. Oh, well, that sounds, that sounds pretty awesome, really. And then, so is that a unique category in Amazon? Really? I, my, on Amazon, I list all my, that book, it's horror, it's paranormal. It's not, erotic horror is a very small subdivision that Amazon doesn't really recognize. Uh-huh. So I kind of have to shove it in categories that they that they already have mm-hmm. okay well that seems like it might be a really good uh, category then it we'll, we'll have to talk <laughs> and, uh, yeah yeah we'll, we'll find a find a category and get that going because that that sounds like something that would stand out for you uh so and then your paranormal romance so is this uh you'll have to explain a little bit to me I, i've heard of this before but I, I'm afraid to say what I think it is compared to what it might not be. <laughs> well, my paranormal romance is also unique as it's not it's not filled with magic and sex and shifters like what TV is portrayed in and what a huge amount chunk of the genre has clamped onto. Like, my Electitus series is based, I have a lot of history, I have a lot of shifters who don't shift, because I'm really bad at writing actual shifters. Um, mine's based on magic and mystery. It's There is steam, so it's not, 
It's not YA. I wouldn't ever let anybody under the age of 18 <laughs> eat it. Mm-hmm. But my character, she's looking, she's trying to figure out what is going on in her life as she's been plagued with dreams for most of it. And when she moves across the country, she begins to meet people that knows more about that know more about her than she does of herself. And it awakens magic within her. Mm. And she soon tries to figure out who she is because the people that she meets become part of her dreams. So that's where the paranormal aspect of it, because there are witches that aren't necessarily witches and shifters who don't shift. It's a, large amount of mystery, but the romance comes from who those characters are in her lifetime prior. Oh, wow. Okay, that sounds pretty exciting. And that's in the uh, the Electida? Is that how you say yeah. it? Yeah. Electida series. Okay. With uh, Alexis Davis. So, okay. Yes. And I base that she's from Missouri, since that's where I'm from, so I <laughs> used a lot of myself within her character. Oh, okay. Very nice. All right. I I always like that whenever you whenever I get to talk to somebody and then I find out later that I I may not even be aware that uh, I, I'm I'm aware that they're a local writer, but then I find out that they're writing something based in Missouri and and it's just opening up a whole new world to me of how many authors are in Missouri and the wide range of subjects and and categories that that we can cover. I mean, it's just about anything you want to find. You'll find an author in Missouri writing it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's definitely, that's definitely true. Especially in my event coordination side is I've met so many local authors that, that fit in a wide range of genres. And Mm -hmm. absolutely. Well, since you mentioned it, that was a great little uh, segue. Uh, you are also heading up a, a new event coming up, the Show Me Your Books KC, coming up September 7th and 8th. And for you listeners who've been following along, you've heard the ad on the, at the beginning of the show the last two weeks, and we're gonna, we'll continue this leading up. Tell us a little bit about this, and, and this was your brainchild, correct? Yes, in um, 2016, I was looking for Midwest signings, and there's a ton of them. There's a ton of genre-specific ones, and there's a ton that aren't that are in the Midwest, but authors like we were just talking about, authors in Missouri, Kansas, and Oklahoma, we don't have a huge amount, especially locally. So um, I was talking to my assistant at the time. I'm like, I'm gonna create an event. And it exploded because that's literally how I, I do things. <laughs> <laughs> I think of it and then I make it happen. And I was like, but I want it to benefit everybody. Cause I know our Kansas city, we have events that are very genre specific. So I'm, so I decided I was going to bring in authors from all over all different genres and give Kansas City a two-day event that will put not just authors at tables and selling their books, but readers the ability to meet in in a personal, low-key setting. Because Show Me Your Books is not just a signing event. We have, it's two days. We have the meet and greet that's the very first Thing on Friday, we have the meet and greet, a smallish room because we do have 60 authors plus readers and attendants where we all get to hang out, have some drinks, have some dessert, and just talk. Readers get to not be bombarded with, oh, I'm just here to buy a book. They actually get to pick the author's brains as well as the author's get a chance to really get involved in what readers are looking for. And then we also had an author set up a beer and barbecue event right after. And then we are doing breakfast with the authors where bright and early, we all get to trudge down in our pajamas and it's not anything fancy. (laughs) We're just all people hanging out, 
getting ready to actually go to the signing where they will get a chance to buy books of authors that they've began to create a more intimate relationship with other than just author reader. And finally, the really cool thing about this entire event is we're benefiting the dream factory. Not only is it about books and readers and a subject we all are passionate about, we are running a raffle and hopefully fingers crossed we are going to um, sell apparel where 100% of the proceeds go to the Dream Factory. Which, if you haven't heard of the Dream Factory, it's a nonprofit, 100% volunteer organization that um, helps make the dreams of termin terminally or chronically ill children come true between the ages of 3 and 18. Uh, my whole life growing up, I'd always hear about them, and now that I've found a chance to actually help and create a change in these kids lives I figured this this would be a good event because we have it's a family friendly event we have authors that are YA paranormal horror you name it and we probably have it there yeah I and, was I was I was looking at your your Facebook group where the authors are kind of congregating and, and talking and, and sharing everything and I'm just blown away with the not only the number I mean you've got 60 authors that just blows my mind and then how many different genres there are you you've done an amazing job yeah it's it's really cool and I try to make it because we have so many genres and we have so many that may not be kid-friendly we kind of made it to where all of our family-friendly authors are in one area not like segregating them but making it easier for maybe little ears that are standing there <laughs> don't hear things that they aren't supposed <laughs> to hear and for years to come yeah yeah but i made it to where our readers kansas city locally and even readers that we have flying in can aren't just coming and seeing one genre I've mm -hmm. tried to make it open to people that read on all different levels. Now I gotta, I gotta ask, how did you pull this off? How did you find them from across? I mean, they're, they're even a couple outside of America, aren't they? But they're, you're all over America for sure, flying in. Uh, how did yeah. you do this? Well, before I decided to put on my own event, I had gone to events of my own, um, events of, from other people across the country, and I kind of picked the brains of other event coordinators, but there is a Facebook group, and it's author events around the world. Hmm. So you just go in there, and you post your event information, and you kind of see who would be interested in coming. And when I first created the event, it was supposed to be small low-key we were going to do it at the Kansas City Library there was only going to be like 20 authors and that's what I thought I could handle but when I put the interest form I was blown away with the amount of people that either have never been to Kansas City or have all has been waiting for an event in the area that would fit their writing style <laughs> so from there it went double we went from 20 or 30 to 60 because I couldn't deny these people the ability to come back into the Midwest if they have been here before or finally find a new section of the states or the country itself that they hadn't sold in. I couldn't deny them the ability to find new readers. Oh, my gosh. I, I, like I said, I am just blown away. This is such a very cool event i can't wait uh like we were talking before i can't make the first day but i'm gonna i'm definitely coming the second day i'm gonna come in and check everything out and and uh, meet some people and then i don't know if you have a sign up list for next year but i'm down so i'll be i'll be there <laughs> yeah all the information for that is going to um come out within the week after the mm -hmm. event is over and we're actually looking to add an, an extra day and include author panels. Oh. So readers can come in and sit on panels and be able to ask authors questions. Well, that sounds 
amazing. Uh, everybody listening, you've got to check this out. It's coming up September 7th and 8th. It's called the Show Me Your Books KC. Man, and don't forget to get your VIP tickets because if you do that, you're going to get breakfast. You're going to get uh, special time with the authors. Uh, and then the the ball. Oh, my gosh, the ball to close it all out. The yeah. 1920s themed ball. I mean, I've never seen anything put together like this. And I, it, it's going to be a very special event. I, I really applaud you for, for doing this in the first place. But then going that step further, of this isn't just uh, open the doors, go in there and find an author. But you've got so much going on. I think people are going to be extremely pleased. So Yeah, I figure um, reader... Readers, they like to read books, but especially in the indie world, Mm -hmm. readers also like to create a different kind of bond than you would find in, like, the mainstream traditional. They like to be able to walk up to an author and be like, hey, and feel like they're on the same level. We're not not any better than they are. We're just (laughs) all, we just chose to go crazy and make ourselves insane and, get out books that people want to read that's right well uh tell the audience where can people find information about the event where can they find you and follow you and your books you can find information for show me your books on www.showmeyourbookskc.com or you can find us find the attendee page where you can Talk to the authors, see what's going on, what they have planned for the event on Facebook at Show Me Your Books Attendees. For me, you can also, I do have a website. It is sadly not up to date because Show Me Your Books (laughs) has taken up a large portion of my time. Um, The best place to find any information about me is on Facebook. Christine Alvarez. I do have an author page, but like my website is sadly not utilized. (laughs) But I find my readers like just sending me a friend request and seeing not just the books. They like to see my day-to-day crazy when it comes to kids and my life just as a person. And I do put my book information and snippets and whatnot up there as well. Yeah. I, I think readers really enjoy hearing that personal side of an author that they really enjoy reading and getting to hear what they're up to. And, and it's that, it, it's just, like I said, it's that personal aspect to it. It, it humanizes the author and makes yeah. you bond that much more. So and I think whether it's somebody, you know, whether it's following on Facebook or getting to come to your event and somebody getting to talk to them like this, it's, it's, really really good well i've had a blast i can't wait to meet you in person uh here coming up and uh i just thank you so much for coming on yeah you're welcome anytime and if when you anybody listening if you do come just i'm gonna be the one with the pink hair running around like a mad person (laughs) just stop me say hi i'm more than happy to stop and talk and chat i might be blaring some sort of order into my walkie-talkie, but I will be there. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you again. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, it's time for me to step aside, and I'm going to hand the floor over to Christine Alvarez with her book, Beyond Blood, Book One, The Devil's Angel. Okay, this is Chapter One of The Devil's Angel. This is through Angel's point of view. Angel. The hatred filling his voice had me pushing the blade further into his chest. Ironic, isn't it? I said, smiling down at my target for the evening. I didn't know what my mother had been thinking the day she decided on that name, but I was not an angel. I couldn't help but let the pleasure that this moment gave me play across my face. He wouldn't dare move or fight against me with a blade so close to his heart. His death was inevitable in my eyes, so... All the work he would put into keeping his life was null and void. I never understood why they didn't fight. I know for a fact that if if it was me on the other end, I wouldn't go out without kicking and screaming. I'd fight to the end. Even immortality didn't make them immune to stupidity. They were just stupid longer. Getting them here hadn't taken much. He didn't have an ounce of self-preservation in that brain of his. 
It had only taken a few well-practiced moves to lay him out on the gravel and broken glass that littered the alleyway behind the club. He wasn't prepared for a fight. The only thing on his mind had been sex and blood. I kept him pinned to the ground with a dagger that I carried with me, even when it was just a trip to the grocery store. Without it, I wouldn't have held him there. I twisted the tip of the blade further into his skin, pushing against his ribcage. He tensed between my fingers as I pinned him to the hard ground. He was young and clumsy. For that, he had to be dealt with. I cocked my head to the side, assessing what I could see of him. The stark planes of his face and flawless skin gave him a bad boy sexiness that was rare even among the living. Too bad he didn't have a pulse. I could tell from my position directly above him that before he was turned, he took care of himself. The feel of a man between my legs awakened a forgotten need inside. The urge to run my hands through his auburn hair was almost too much. I twisted the blade a fraction as I watched his blue eyes widen. Fear would be his last emotion as I slammed the silver tip home. What in the hell was I doing fantasizing about this creature? Ashes rained all around like confetti, landing me squarely on my ass. Great thing about vampires, no cleanup required. The thrum of techno music played against my ass as I sat in the alley behind my current hunting ground. I stood up, brushing what was left of Mr. Dark and Dreadful into the wind. I needed to get out of here. It becomes a bit difficult to try and explain why you are sitting in an alley covered in ash, holding a large silver blade. I had the option to use command to erase any memory they had of me being here in order to keep this world safe, but that would push me closer to being just another monster. It's done, I said into my phone. Good, maybe you can do better tomorrow night. The woman's voice was cold and hard. God, my aunt is such a bitch. I bag more monsters on any given night compared to everyone else, and that is the praise I get. I hung up the phone with nothing further to be said. My family and I were like some dysfunctional version of Cinderella. My evil aunt Althea and her fabulous twin daughters, Cora and Penelope, were the last in a long line of hunters, and of course, there is me. But the sins of my mother have put my existence under constant scrutiny. Your mother was a fool. She could have been one of the finest among us, but she let herself be won over by those soulless bloodsuckers. Now you're your only legacy. I felt the disgust and scorn of my aunt's voice filled with each telling my entire childhood. I had fought to defend my mother, but in the end, there was nothing I could say. I would never know any other version of her than the one my aunt told because the dead couldn't talk. Well, not the dead dead kind, and according to my aunt, my father was a pile of ash somewhere in England. She took great pride in reminding me in detail how she made him pay for the crimes against my mother. My beat-up Oldsmobile sat alone under a streetlight in the parking lot of an abandoned insurance building, a block away from the club. Parking here was one of many security measures. Nobody could see my coming or going, and I had a slim-to-none chance of having to explain away my messed-up hair, fading scratches, or the clumps of my blood mixed with vampire ash. From my apartment to the club was only a five-minute drive, and at 12 a.m. in Gentryville, I didn't even need to stop at red lights. Pulling into the parking lot, I knew immediately that a warning call was in order. Jane, my roommate, had company. A blue bandana hung in the rearview mirror of the Mini Cooper, our version of an early warning system. Jane has been my friend for as long as I can remember. My only friend, really. She never questioned just how different I was compared to her or any of the other kids. In high school, I broke down and told her what kind of freak I really was, that my dead mother was a vampire hunter and her dear daddy was the very thing she hunted. Though I had been warned from an early age never to let anyone know what I was or what my family did for a living, I couldn't keep something like that from her after the shit she took from me growing up. I owed her that much. My family had said I would end up in some lab being poked or prodded, maybe even sitting in a padded cell upstate. And I thought my life sucked. That was her response. She let me talk and explain for 20 minutes until finally I couldn't find any other explanation to give for what I was. Then she looked me up and down before shrugging my confession away. That was the one and only time we ever talked about what or who I really was. Sure, we set ground rules like the bandana in the review, so I wouldn't scare the living shit out of company, but other than that, her reaction was at the same level as confessing that I drank the last of the milk, and if she wanted cereal, one of us would have to make a trip to the store. Jane was an anomaly in her own right. The phone rang long after her voicemail should have picked up. Okay, okay, her breathless giggle let me know the coast was clear. Our private elevator was another security measure. It offered no chance of being stuck on an elevator with anyone that I didn't want to be stuck with, and nobody could come unannounced. My day job paid well, but it wasn't how I was able to buy my own private anything. The trust my mother left me came in handy when I needed it, and ever since I turned 25, all funds were mine. 
I could put my old clunker to bed and buy a sleek new ride, but I was a sucker for things I bought with my own money. So unless my car died all on my own, it was staying. The apartment smelled of Chinese takeout and the strong scent of sex and sweat. God, some days I really hated being a hybrid monster. I dropped my keys in the dish on the counter and tried to ignore the incessant pleading of the tequila bottle on top of the fridge. I couldn't take it. I lifted the bottle down without bothering to grab a glass. I think this was a straight-out-of-the-bottle type of night. The high-pitched giggles and yips that came from Jane's door when I banged on it in passing only reinforced that thought. Another perk of my trust is a badass private bathroom attached to the very large master bedroom. The burn of the tequila felt good as I waited for the tub to fill up. Maybe I could get drunk and fall asleep in the tub. Hell, already knows I can't drown, and I guess one bottle of tequila wouldn't get me drunk either. Curse number. Well, I lost count. I die the same way as the monsters, with a stake straight through the heart. I have plenty of stories that confirm my suspicion. Aside from sliding a silver blade straight down my own heart or being stuck in a blazing inferno, I've tried everything else to snuff out my existence. My tequila bottle became emptier by the minute as I tried to drown out the constant moans from across the apartment. How did either of us ever get any work done during the daylight hours? Maybe I would drown myself. At least then I would get a good night's sleep, but I really hated waking up wrinkled worse than a prune. The fact that I felt like jumping the bones of a target tonight, especially one of the undead variety, crept into my thoughts, or I could self-analyze why I find myself lusting over a mark, an undead mark at that, I thought bitterly. I really did need to keep my head in the game. On the plus side of being what I am is that I couldn't end up like my mother because thanks to my undead side, pregnancy wasn't an option. Maybe I need to troll the bars for something other than a monster to kill. I could quench my thirst and be on my way and wouldn't have to worry about fantasizing over something that was clearly past its expiration date. The buzzer for our elevator broke through my pondering. I surely wasn't expecting company, so I assumed it was for Jane. Maybe she called a cab for newest conquest. I let the burn of the last of my tequila wash away any thoughts of picking up some drunken bar hopper. I didn't necessarily believe in a happily ever after love story, but I sure as hell wasn't about to find some dumb fuck to get me off. Angel, it's a case, Jane's voice echoed into the bathroom. She didn't knock because she knew I could hear her. Even if she had whispered it to my locked bedroom door, I groaned, wishing I had more of that tequila on hand. My day job was perfect for my unique skills, but even they weren't specialized enough to deal with a woman scorned. Can I not wait till morning? I yelled back. I didn't want to leave the sanctuary of my nice warm tub. Um, I think you might want to see this. The fact that I could tell she was on the verge of yelling had me out of the tub and standing at my open door, dripping the remains of my bathwater all over the hardwood floors. I at least had the decency to grab my robe. Vampire speed, gotta love it. Jane, with her head full of red curls, stood in a thong and spaghetti strap shirt, gawking at a piece of paper in her hand. She didn't even flinch at my sudden appearance. Is that how she greeted the doorman? I'm sure the old man wasn't too upset by it. A manila envelope lay forgotten at his feet. What has gotten your panties... I stopped mid-sentence, taking in a retire, or lack thereof, all in a bunch. She flipped a check in my direction. A speechless Jane is never a good sign. Now I knew why, because words felt foreign to me at this point in time as well. Half a million dollars, she choked out. My shock was short-lived when I saw that the check was made out to me, not A&J private investigators. How did you know it was a case, I asked. When I answered the buzzer, Billy said some old guy dropped this off at the front desk. When Billy asked why he'd stop by, the old guy said it was a request for her services. She white-knuckled a check, practically crumpling it in her hands. Her wide eyes and hollow tone made it seem like she didn't want to let go of the check or acknowledge that it was made out to me. I bent down and scooped the manila envelope off the floor. The only other thing inside was another white envelope with a large stylized A at the top. Jane, can I see the check, please? I asked slowly, hoping that she wouldn't flip at the thought of having to hand it over. She made no move to voluntarily hand over the check, but didn't try and stop me when I pried it from her stiff hands. The cashier's check held no traceable clue as to who our potential client was. Even the letter was as cryptic as they came. Your office has been deemed secure. I'd like to request a meeting after sundown tomorrow night. The request was written out with such elegance I had to run my fingers along each word to make sure they were handwritten instead of typed out. Find something with high alcohol content in your laptop and meet me in the kitchen, I said, turning back towards my room. The money, the nighttime meeting, the arrogance in the request left a bad taste in my mouth. While I changed into a nightgown, I had to listen to Jane not so politely send her bed buddy packing. I let out a loud snicker as I heard the door literally hit him on his way out. 
so what's the plan shane asked meeting me in our living room she had at least covered her ass with a hot pink shorts i need you to hack into the bank and see a request the check i tapped the name as i set the check on the coffee table easy peasy she chirped giving her laptop a loving grin as her fingers tapped against the keyboard there was no sarcasm or hesitation in her answer for her this was easy having a partner and best friend that was a grade a computer genius had its advantages jane didn't drink and she also thought it wasn't very ladylike to drink straight out of the bottle on more than one occasion she had sent me straight on that fact more tequila sat next to her accompanying two shot glasses that jane had already filled to the rim cheers i groaned thrusting the glass in the air with one gulp the now empty glass clinked against the table i listened to the tapping while i emptied the second shot glass occasionally she would mumble something about bypassing servers and piggybacking turbs that went over my head gotcha she said excitedly it sent the liquid down quicker in order for my full attention to be directed at the computer screen jackson bank and trust pulled funds from a personal account for one alistair drake this afternoon in the amount of half a million dollars her words were full of pride in how quickly she had found it the name sounded familiar but i couldn't place why or how i knew it who is alistair drake google was up and searching before i could even finish my question according to google alistair drake owned and operated a chain of high-end catering business businesses up and down the coast even extending across the midwest forbes even had him named one of the year's sexiest entrepreneurs and by the picture they were not wrong a man with hazel eyes stared back at me from the computer screen he doesn't look much older than you jane's observation gave voice to my exact thought the lines in his smile and subtle wrinkles against his faded tan told me that he wasn't born into money his short haircut didn't seem to fit the personality that came across the picture can you find any reason why he would pay such a substantial amount of money for our services i asked needing to take myself away from analyzing him nothing according to the article he has no wife current or ex and no children her voice was strained and far away i was the only one his looks were affecting bent over jane's head i continued to watch each search engine do its thing what about what's not in the article i said as i watched her flip from screen to screen she knew exactly what i meant he had been in the business long enough that people were generally not what they appeared to be on the surface no lawsuits grievances family or business problems for all intents and purposes in public and private he seems squeaky clean jane said while scanning pages for anything further that would actually help us so what would a millionaire with no obvious problems need from us well that means that he is damn good at hiding things because you don't hire a private investigator if there is anything you want to be kept private i poured out one more shot i could tell i was going to need it by the time we concluded our investigation of our potential client the sun was making its presence known it had been another not at all unexpected sleepless night even after a few hours of digging we still hadn't found a hint to why our services were needed my internal warning bells were giving me a headache though alistair drake's records did not jive the birth certificate he filed did not exist in the records at the hospital and his family's trails all came to a dead end the only thing i knew of that would have a history this shady was a vampire and that thought made my skin crawl they normally weren't the ones to seek me out it's normally the other way around one sleepless night didn't affect me much but jane who was completely human didn't fare too well when it came to zero sleep even after two large cups of coffee she was still dragging when we finally made it to the office a client stephanie who suspected her husband of infidelity sat waiting in our parking lot i have never worked a case where the suspected cheater wasn't really a cheater in the end it's always baffling how these women found ladies underwear three sizes too small under the bed receipts for presents dinners and loads of other things that they never see and try and file it away as something else denial was a very expensive emotion but in stephanie's case cost didn't matter because she was using his money to pay for our services i let jane sit this one out i could handle one hysterical wife all on my own maybe she could dig up something about alistair drake with a little more time or by the sound of her slowing heart rate she could take a nap our nanny stephanie's screams of recognition pulled my attention to the picture laid out on the table that's another surety if you suspect your husband of cheating and you have a hot nanny then ninety-nine percent of the time that is where you should look first i'm going to kill them both stephanie flipped through the same few pictures over and over letting each one burn into her memory i doubted what she said would hold true it was the same thing they all said and more than likely it wouldn't happen there are generally three options one she will divorce him and take him for all he is worth 
too. She will throw a tantrum and fire the nanny, and her husband will promise never to do it again, and they will go on with their lives while he finds some younger model to bang. Or three, by the time she gets home, she'll decide she can't bear to rip the nanny her kids love out of their lives and choose to ignore the affair for greater good of their family. Myself, I'd probably just off him and find another baby daddy, so maybe it's a good thing I don't have kids. Thirty minutes were spent assuring her that none of these photos were doctored, and there was really no other explanation for her husband bending the nanny over the bathroom counter than him cheating. I had almost hit my limit, and it wasn't even 10 a.m. The desktop dinged, signaling a message, giving me a slight reprieve from Stephanie, who needed the number to a good therapist. The interruption had me tuned into Jane. Her heartbeat had picked up erratically. I shut out Stephanie's rant and repeated questions and clicked the message box. The grainy newspaper clipping couldn't hide my own chocolate brown eyes set in a purely masculine face that smiled back at me. The dark hair pulled tight against his head looked straight, but I knew that, that if let loose in the wind, it would be full of curly locks, just like my own. I scanned the description. Kendrick Maelstrom, left, and Alistair Drake, right, standing in front of the newest location for elite catering. Alistair Drake was friends with my father. I couldn't pinpoint that I knew it was him, but the truth rang clear within my thoughts. It can't be. My kids love her like an aunt. Stephanie pulled me from my shock with a loud rip. I watched as one of the photos fluttered to the desk. At least the file was hers. I clicked the message, window closed. Yep, option number three, it would be. Mrs. James, the folder in front of you is a copy of all my findings and notes, as well as a list of divorce lawyers that may help you if you choose to pursue that route. I smoothed my unwrinkled blouse and fidgeted with the papers that lay across my desk, trying to bring normalcy to my words. I doubted any of this stuff would even make it back to her house, but I needed to get her out of here before I had a panic attack right in front of her. Man, Jane had impeccable timing. I shot Jane the look of death as I walked Stephanie to the door. How could she send me that while I was with my client? Her faith in me must be much stronger than my faith in myself. My temper and shock could have had me reaching across the desk and snapping a client's neck at seeing my father's face for the first time. I gave Stephanie an awkward hug before sending her on her way with my apologies for being the bearer of bad news. Her check for $10,000 sat alone on my desk, but that could wait. When was it taken? My voice sounded flat compared to the storm of fury that I held inside. My sudden appearance at Jane's desk didn't garner a reaction from her, but the papers that lay on top of the desk fluttered. I hated when I did that, but sometimes it couldn't be helped. It looks like this was taken a few months before remodeling began for Alistair's very first kitchen. She squeaked out her answer while she kept her eyes on the screen. She was my best friend. Strangling her wasn't an option. What year? Something in my voice must have given my emotional state away because the scent of her fear filled my nostrils, feeding the monster that crept just under the surface. That same part of me felt the tension humming against her body and leapt for joy. The human, practical side was just happy that she still had sense enough to be afraid. This edition was printed in April 1988, she said, reading another section of the article, four months before I was born and a year before my mother was killed. So he's still dead? My words came out on a breath as I let the tension slowly leave my body. I didn't realize until that moment how much I feared the knowledge that somehow he was still alive. This picture confirms one theory and adds to the list of all at the same time, I said. My voice was calm as I plopped down in the client's chair. That photo had thrown me through a loop. Alistair Drake is a vampire. Jane's statement was matter-of-fact and void of any surprise. The fact that he had not changed a bit in the last 26 years was incriminating, to say the least. Everything about him was the same, right down to the wrinkles frozen in time. You know that means you can't stay. I fiddled with a picture of us she had on the edge of the desk. She hated when I had to exclude her. We had made a deal when we started this line of work that she had to stay out of monster business. This is different, she said while playing with her fingernails. The resignation in her voice played on the contrary. I watched as she worked her jaw back and forth and her nostrils flared. You're in too important to me to take that chance. I let all my love for her pour into the words. I didn't want her mixed up in that part of my life. She was just too fragile. I may be able to sit through a medical exam, walk outside during the sunniest of days, and I can happily scarf down deep-fried goodness, but this is our only human similarities. I couldn't die as easily as she could. We may not share the same blood, but I consider her my only true family, and I protect my family. Without further argument, we got to work. That is why I left her. She would help me as much as I would let her, without pushing any further. The article under the picture named both men as co-owners of the budding business. Then we hit another strange dead end. 
Through both legal and not-so-legal routes, we learned that the article was the only place that even mentioned Kendrick Maelstrom. None of the sales documents, bank accounts, or employee lists had any similar information on them. The rest of the day was spent compiling files for three other infidelity cases and one case of company theft. I made a file with what I had for Alistair Drake, but generally I knew more about the potential client than they knew about themselves by the first meeting. It's always a good idea to investigate your client just as thoroughly as the target because you don't want to be blindsided midway through the job. But the weight of this file had me nervous. Be careful. The concern in Jane's voice caught me off guard. You know I will. I watched her head towards the door, my brows furrowed, trying to decide what had her smelling of fear. I know, just something about this feels different. Jane said, turning to give me her I'm-never-wrong glare as she placed her hand on the door handle. I don't think Alistair is someone that would request a meeting on my own turf and try and off me, especially when there's no way for him to know if I made a trail leading right back to him, I replied. You're right, and I have a copy of everything you have, she said, patting the file she held in her hand, and your aunt will know the minute I think something has gone wrong. She raised the corner of her lip in a half-smile. She was trying to reassure herself just as much as me. That was her go-to contact in case of emergency situations like this, since we couldn't explain any of what I did to regular law enforcement. Two hours until sundown, and there I was, alone in my office, staring at the only picture I had of the monster who made me. Before today, I didn't even know his name, but I am damn sure I didn't need a DNA test to tell me that Kendrick Maelstrom was my father. Everything from his build and his eyes trapped the truth within the photographer's lens. The stark similarities in the way he held himself was jarring. I hadn't realized before today how little I resembled my mother. Sure, Jane and I had searched for any record of his existence before, but without a name or picture, we were out of luck. I guess some part of me wanted to know where I came from, much like kids who were adopted probably do. What did Alistair Drake want with me? Did he know I was Kendrick's daughter, or was it purely a coincidence that he sought me out for help? Maybe whatever problem he had was an average human problem, and money wasn't that big of a deal to him. By the look of his bank statements, I could see why he would feel that way. I tapped my thoughts out on the desk, occasionally scribbling random designs into the notepad. My large veggie pizza and sweet tea arrived, giving me plenty of time to eat before anyone showed up. I inhaled the entire pizza and cleaned up the evidence, trying to waste time. Finally, I forced myself to sit, ignoring the fact that I generally wasn't a patient person, especially when it came to the unknown. The only comfort I had was the feel of the silver tip blade secured to the undercarriage of my desk. My fingers stroked along the sharpest point of the blade, circling the tip. Vampires were not the only monsters that walked this earth, so I kept a universal weapon handy at all times. The pain the blade rendered helped rein in the restless unease that had been stirring since that picture popped up on my screen. I pushed against the blade as I felt the sun fall closer and closer to the horizon. Warm liquid welled around the tip as the sun completely disappeared. The sun didn't have the same hold on me as vampires, but I knew where it hung in the sky every minute of the day. It reminded me just how much closer to the monster I really was. Not long after sundown, a car engine purred into the parking lot. The lack of heartbeats kept me planted in my seat, and the quick arrival let me know that they weren't staying far from here. The grip against my blade became excruciating as I tried to squelch the knee-jerk reaction to stake them upon entry. Be careful, young vampire. You wouldn't want to scar that pretty hand of yours, the first man in said. I could tell by his less than expensive attire that he wasn't Alistair Drake. Their injury was instantaneous, causing the bell over the front door to tinkle after they had already made it to the office. Well, at least no introductions were necessary. Mr. Drake's groupie didn't rate the reaction that I could only assume he wanted. He didn't even rate my attention, let alone fear or intimidation. I had all eyes for the man standing in the doorway. The pictures did him absolutely no justice. Alistair Drake was only slightly taller than me, and his hair framing his face had grown out since that picture was taken. Only the very old and powerful can manipulate their appearance like he had. He was softer in the face as well, but somehow he still had a pronounced jawline. I watched as he bit his full bottom lip and blinked his longer-than-normal eyelashes. Those very human qualities had me forgetting the lack of heartbeat for a moment. Alistair wasn't dressed for a meeting. The gray pinstripe dress pants and white undershirt gave me the impression that work was not on the menu for this evening. "'What can I do for you, Mr. Drake?' I said as I gripped the blade, letting a new rush of blood flow from my self-inflicted wound, reminding me to steady my heartbeat. I may be in my office, but they were not my normal clientele. So much like your father. He hadn't moved any closer, but those words felt like a whisper against my ear. 
If I didn't know how impossible it was, I, I would swear it was his breath that swayed across the fine hairs along my neck. I had to work hard to keep my anxiety from growing and, and concealed to the vampires. For purely factual purposes, I'm a bastardized orphan. So you must pass that along, if only to predict my perfect reputation. I ground out. His knowledge of my parentage answered one of the many questions that had ran through my mind. It was no coincidence that he was here. During my fact-correcting, I watched out of the corner of my eye as Alistair's little groupie grew closer and closer to breaking my bubble of personal space. Without a thought, the man's throat was in my hand, and my bloody blade was through his black tea and resting against his heart. One thrust, and it would just be Alistair and me. That thought didn't bother me as much right now. You might want to teach your employees better manners, Mr. Drake, I hissed. The groupie took involuntary breaths, even though it wasn't necessary. He couldn't be that old still possess so much humanity and be this stupid draven please show miss may proper respect we have come to her for help alice's voice was warm and inviting making me want to hate him my last name prompted the realization that my mother had given me a clue to who my father was now apologize so we can get on with it he said i watched the man that i held by the throat squirm and open and close his mouth for a second before realizing it might be easier for him to verbalize his apology if i stopped crushing his larynx when i released him he immediately bent over taking a large gasp of breath why i asked staring down at him i was momentarily confused at his whole act why what he gasped out you must be a baby at this with a mock breathing the sneak attack and playing up the fact you know who I am. I said, cleaning off my knife against the back of Draven's shirt with no intent to resheave it. As human as he still appeared, the male ego was surely still easily hurt. I'm inherently human and a female, so I'm sure I left him with a bruised one. I'm sorry for that, but if he wasn't necessary, he wouldn't be here. The disgust for the man laced through Alistair's words. Then have a seat and please do fill me in on why either of you are here, I said, waving my hands to the empty chairs across from my desk. Alistair didn't make a move to sit as he stared daggers into Draven. Isn't there something you need to say to Ms. May, Draven? Alistair asked. I'm sorry, and I will play nice. Each of Draven's words came out forced. He may have to apologize, but the apology was empty, and surely Alistair knew it. Without further hesitation, we all began taking seats in the room. Draven sat in a chair closest to the door, putting Alistair in the chair between us. I could only read into that positioning his fear, which drew out a smile of satisfaction. Alistair glanced between us before letting out a sigh. His brother, Lorcan, has vanished, and I need him found. I have gone through all my extensive resources to locate him, and as you may assume, have come up with little to nothing. Alistair stated by way of working past our fucked-up introductions. The brothers, a vampire as well? I asked. Alistair only inclined his head in response. Well, Mr. Drake, I don't know what I can do for you. Tracking ashes seems like it would be impossible, I said, lacing my fingers together on top of my desk. My brother's not dead! The venom behind Draven's words promised that he would die trying to kill me if he could. Actually, the smile widened just a fraction. He is right, Alistair interrupted our little spat. I would not be here if I believed he was unable to be found. I found his complete lack of interest in Draven's outburst interesting. Are you not a sire? I asked. Once a vampire turns someone, they develop a supernatural tracking device that never lets their children truly escape them. If a child dies, then all ties are broken and the tra track grows cold. I am, but something beyond death has severed my tie to him. His body stiffened and his voice grew irritated. Why is he such of importance when you clearly have such dispassion for his brother? I could only assume that his brother is much like him, I asked, pointing at Draven, who was staring at me with my death clearly playing in his pale eyes. My real question was what could sever sire bonds other than death in a sire's will, but that could wait. I didn't want to show a vampire my lack of knowledge on this subject, and it had never been a necessity to know any of this. My job has always been to annihilate rather than study them. I was hoping that Draven here was much like his sibling, but sadly that hasn't been the case. He said clearly disgusted by his choice to sire Draven, but unlike with my comment, there was a complete silence from the peanut gallery. So why turn him then? I questioned with a nod towards Draven. That was conditional. I hoped with a blood tie my sire bond would be stronger, but once more I was mistaken. So I'll amend my previous question. Why is it so important for you to find your missing child? I asked getting us back on track i didn't suspect alistair's motive for finding his child was parental not in the least that was a fact i needed before even entertaining the idea of finding a vampire not sending it flying through the air in a million wispy little pieces 
Learning a bit more about my father had been the only reason I had entertained this meeting to begin with. If it wasn't for the curiosity of the human child within me, I would have been sweeping up ashes by now. He has something that I want, he said, pinning me with his hardened stare. Bingo. I couldn't help the smile that played across my face. It was always something else. Vampires didn't care about anything but themselves. Lorcan was just a means to getting something that was his to begin with. So he vanished after taking something that belonged to you, I said, reeling further into his answer. My brother's not a thief. This time, Draven's comments sent him standing on my side of the desk between Alistair and myself. Not a very smart move. So far, smart was something that he lacked exponentially. Before I could even think about finishing what I had started earlier, a sleek silver whip coiled around his neck, slicing to his flesh. Smoke wafted from the reddening wells as he grabbed and pawed at the restraint. Draven, my patience is growing thin with you, and there is a point where this game you play will come to an end. Alistair's voice was low, and the flat tongue gave nothing towards leniency. Draven's fate wasn't what held my attention, though. I could care less whether he stood here or was a pile of ash by the end of this meeting. The whip was mind-blowing, and like a child, I wanted one, and I wanted it now. Do you make a habit of killing your employees? I asked, even though I was sadistically mesmerized by the sheer pain that was being meted out. He was still as alive as he was a few minutes ago. The business-like tone reminded me that Alistair's humanity was just a piece of his arsenal. All I know is that my most trusted has disappeared along with something that I treasure above all else. His continuation of the conversation smacked of a sadism since he kept Draven in the wire's restraint at his side. I had to hand it to him. He was relentless at trying to break free of the hold, still grabbing at the wire's edge, burning lashes into his hands as well. But as Draven was painfully learning, a vampire has the strength of a human when I began to sire. The smell of slow-burning skin swept through my office. I bet our cleaner was going to charge extra to get rid of that stench. So what disappeared with your man? I asked, still watching the whip work its magic. I couldn't even fathom what could be so precious to Alistair that he would seek out outside help in tracking it down. If I had to compare vampires with any other group, it would be the mob. They took care of their own business, and that was that. He has in his possession a document that has been in my line since the beginning of days. His voice had taken on that weird, creepy tone when someone was deep in a memory that you were not privy to. He has an important document. I couldn't help my incredulous tone. Don't you guys believe in memory sticks or computer backups so this type of thing doesn't happen? I said, letting laughter fill my words. Without warning, Drayden slammed into the floor from Alistair's sudden release. The soft businessman that had entered my office disappeared, leaving a complete, soulless, rage-filled man standing in his wake. My blade was midair before his whip laced around my wrist halting its advance, sending searing pain up my arm. Interesting, Alistair hissed, taking stock of the familiar reaction. Your job is not to question. Your job is to find what I seek. Is that not correct? I've entertained too many personal intrusions thus far. His words came out clipped as he watched a sliver of smoke float just above our heads. My mouth never seemed to keep me out of trouble. I'm not a golden retriever, nor am I your child. So no, Mr. Drake, this is not my job. I gritted out against the pain. My knife clanged against the floor. A slight whisk of smoke circled around his hand. The burning flesh of others never fazed me, but my own was another story. How far did I want to escalate this little misunderstanding? I hope he didn't really think he had won. Before I could get a chance to make a decision, cool air replaced the burning path around my wrist. A quick heel would save me the pain of Jane's interrogation later. Well then, Miss May, so enlighten me on your job description, he said, sliding back into his business side. I bit my tongue on the comment that would sling Mr. Mood Swings back into monster mode. I subconsciously rubbed the fading bolts around my wrist as Alistair watched with amusement. Draven, lying on the floor virtually out for the count, helped regain my spirits. How the undead could be knocked out was beyond me. I had yet to master that skill. They either got away or poof. As his sire, I can drain him at will, he answered, reading the question on my face. I knew after our little spat that the bit of information was a sign of goodwill that I would gratefully accept. I investigate, Mr. Drake. I take the information you have and turn it into a trail. Then it is your job to figure out what to do with it, I said, regaining the hold on our conversation prior to Draven trying to be an ass. Please call me Alistair, but Angel, that will simply not do. As you can see, I am willing to pay quite a bit more for further assistance with this little problem. His arrogance in the assumption that his money would get him whatever he wanted was very irritating. Mr. Drake, I purposely kept with a formality to show him that I wasn't another of his pawns, that he could move across the board without protest. I also didn't like the sound of my name as it rolled off his tongue. Something about it was unnerving. 
your check was not the factor that kept me here for this little meeting i took my seat while he let that sink in you see i started feeling a smirk blossom along my face i couldn't give a damn about your money this meeting for me is about this i slid the news article from under a stack of papers never taking my eyes from alistair he barely glanced at the article still then it didn't tell me his true feelings with the old vampires most if not all human tells are gone they have simply been monsters too long i should have known being the offspring of one of the top family of hunters would make money of little interest to you he said keeping his emotions hidden the fact that he diverted from the article entirely was telling in itself he wasn't expecting me to know of their connection his comment also gave me the impression he knew little to nothing of myself other than my lineage because if he truly knew anything he would know that if it wasn't for my mother i would be hard up for cash how about this you tell me about this article and i might think about looking at your little problem i countered he could speculate on my financial standings all he wanted my interest had peaked at the fact that he had lost ties with his child before death everything else had fueled the fire his attention swung to the article like it was something that he could kill maim or otherwise destroy he maintained his casual presence but i could feel the anger and sadness envelope the room he was slipping and i was able to feel myself gain the upper hand what more is there to say we were business partners he said still eyeing the article as if if it would speak up at any time if he really thought i was that stupid then he wouldn't be here there's nothing about your partnership before or after this article so my guess is something happened and you tried to wipe out all evidence of your relationship with him and this article slipped past your cleaning crew i said leaning back in my seat his silence let me know i'd hit the nail on the head why the anxiety in my tone was clear as i waited for an answer he sat silently inspecting the article as the growing need to rip his cold dead heart out inch closer and closer to reality be careful Ms. may it would be hard to get your answer from a pile of ash he warned i knew that but i didn't like knowing he had leverage over me if it came down to it i needed to be able to stake him without thought of information he had on my father since money isn't a motivator then payment for your services shall be information on mr kendrick maelstrom he cooed the look he gave me at that landed him right into creepyville along with all the other monsters i had to deal with he let me see the monster he hid behind that very attractive exterior working for a vampire would be new and something my aunt would probably stake me for she would also probably stake me and burn me to the ground if she knew that it was in trade for information on my vampire father you have a deal as long as you throw in that nifty whip as a bonus i said giving the whip that lay in his lap the same look of adoration i would give a long-time lover his eyes bore into me like he could take whatever he was looking for even if it went against my own wishes i had a sinking feeling i would regret this the moment he left you have a deal and if i may provide you with a bit of advice learn to regulate your emotions a bit more they give your motives away his advice came out low and hard thanks now can you get him off my floor so i can figure out how to get this smell out of my office i responded as i waved one hand through the air we both gave our attention to the still unconscious draven laying on the floor with a snap of his fingers the recently unconscious draven was conscious he braced the arm of the chair to pull himself off the floor to stand unsteadily next to alistair we will be in touch i will have my daytime personnel bring by all the information i have pertaining to the matter he said in dismissal draven's anger had diminished but the hatred he had so quickly developed for me was prominent in his thinning lips and his jaw that jerked back and forth as he ground his teeth together i don't think he liked the fact that i would be looking for his brother instead of him thank you for your hospitality we shall take our leave as the hour grows late and i am sure you need your rest he turned to leave but not in the same manner as his entrance his stride was slow and i took the time to stupidly take in his backside the whip i reminded pulling myself out of my assessment he turned slowly giving me a sly smile i had hoped you would have forgotten that part of our deal he said letting his show-stopping smile consume his face just like a child i never forgot what i wanted and wouldn't stop until i got a chance not a chance i said copying his smile the next second my newly acquired toy sat neatly in the inbox on my desk this might call for a nighttime stop at a local club so i could play a little my interest in my newly acquired whip held my attention causing me to let alistair's leave go unnoticed i also saw he had left the check still sitting on my desk alistair was neither dumb nor young so he purposely left it there the rush of the easy kill i had happened upon on the way home still sang through me as the elevator door opened up into my silent apartment i guess not completely silent there was soft sounds of snoring coming from jane's room 
At this point, I envied her relatively normal life. A manila envelope sat at the foot of my door with a large fancy print across the front that read, as promised. Well, I guess patience was a virtue that he didn't possess. He would have to wait. I needed sleep. Even with my mind spinning, sleep was my greatest enemy. That was Christine Alvarez reading Chapter 1 from Beyond Blood, Book 1, The Devil's Angel. Check out the show notes for links to Christine, links to the Show Me Your Books KC event. Follow the links for the Thoughtful Book Festival that is going on this Friday. Get signed up for that too. Like us, follow us, uh, give us a rating wherever it is you are listening to the show. We will be back again next week with another author, another story, and another sample chapter. Thank you, everybody. Bye.